I'm entitling my message this morning, as a subtitle anyway, 51st Year and Beyond. Our 51st Year and Beyond. The main heading of my message, or the main theme, is a perspective on biblical revival number six. Because, if you recall, in September, we concluded five weeks of celebrations related to our past 50 years as a church. This past Friday, we concluded 40 days of prayers for God's directions and empowerment for year 51 and beyond. And we want to thank those of you who have participated in the prayer meetings, 6.30, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and also 12.30 to 1.30, which we also encourage you to have shared as a time of fasting and come out to pray. And we thank God for those who attended. Of course, we would like to have seen more in numbers, but we still had a blessed time together. The smallest number that came out was two. But God was there, so we had a majority. Amen? The largest number was 16. When we put it all together, we sort of averaged that as about 10 people who attended each meeting on an average. So I think we had like 35 meetings. We should have had 36, but we had a, we had a day. No, we had 30. How many we had? Three. One day we didn't have two. So it was 34, I think. We did because of a holiday. So we probably had a little over 360 people, 350 people who attended the meetings. And we had a good time. We thanked the Lord for that. And I will be talking with our pastors to see if we could continue a prayer time on an ongoing basis. Perhaps not as often, but perhaps it maybe was only once a month for a day, same time. But we'll have to get that approval from our men as we discuss that with them later on. But anyway, <clears throat> as pastors and shepherds of this part of his flock, which he, purposed, which he purchased with his own blood, we have been praying to, for God to give us directions as to how we are to move forward to glorify him in and through the members of this incredible body of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church. To help us to discover this, because what we have found, and I've been looking at some of the ways that uh, the church strategists, they call them, seek to turn around churches. And what they discover that most of the time, what the pastors, elders, and deacons do, they go looking for new programs in order to revitalize the church. But I was, as, as I was reading that, that didn't seem right to me, to look for programs to turn around anything in the church. And I came to the conclusion that it's not the programs, but it's the people who turn around in the church. And they are the ones who he's looking at. So we went to the scriptures to find out how God did it, how he worked in the life of his people to turn his people around. And so we have gone to his word to determine how God worked in, among, and through his people in the past. If you recall, from Nehemiah chapter 2, we discovered that God motivates those who have a genuine concern for his people and his purpose for them to spend time in prayer and fasting before embarking on any kind of action. In, any words, in other words, Nehemiah 2 taught us that to be assured of God's presence and power in our ministry, in our activities, we must first come before him, acknowledging sins of the past and present. Without this, our actions, our programs will be futile, no matter how new 
no matter how innovative or exciting they, they may be, without the right kind of people in the right spiritual conditions, the programs will still not work. Then we looked at God's dealings with Solomon at the time of the dedication of the temple. And once again, we saw that healing of the land and forgiveness were only possible if certain specific qualifications were met. First, humbling ourselves before a holy God in confessing our sin. Two, praying to him to show our dependency upon him. Three, to seek, seek his face, in other words, to seek a holy lifestyle, to have intimacy with God. And fourth, to repent and turn away from our sins. These were the very same conditions that Nehemiah spoke about in Nehemiah 2. So we have a consistent thing going on here as far as qualifications for God working in our lives. But then we moved to Nehemiah chapter 8, and we looked at God's revival under Ezra the priest. And here in this passage, we saw that the teaching of and obedience to the word of God were the major prerequisites to enjoying genuine, joyful worship of a worthy God. The emphasis was on hearing the word, understanding the word, and obeying the word. Then, last time, the last time that I spoke, we began to look at the revival under King Hezekiah in Second Chronicles chapters 29, <clears throat> 30, and 31. We began with chapter 29. And once again, we came across the same basic requirements for assuring God's presence and power in our life and our ministry of the church. First, there was confession and cleansing from personal and corporate sin. Second, there was a commitment to a lifestyle of holiness, seeking after God. And thirdly, there was a commitment to obedience to the word of God. And, through, and so through all of these revivals that we see in the word of God, the same things were required for God to work. Now today, <clears throat> we want to continue with our exploration of the revival under King Hezekiah to glean other aspects that he took in order to get his people moving on a new track that would place God at the center of their life, both individually and as a nation. And that is our desire here, to see God's people placing God at the center of their life. Holiness of lifestyle, obedience to the will of God must be paramount, not programs, but obedience to the will of God and a holy lifestyle. All personal wishes, desires, and personal agendas has to be placed secondary to do what God says that are necessary to be done if he is going to use his people. <clears throat> so as we begin then our 51st year of ministry as a church, with a view of bringing about the necessary environment and culture that would cause us to move from glory to glory in, in our determined ultimate purpose of glorifying the triune God by producing true disciples who are Christ-like in character and way of life. We are not concerned with introducing more programs
<clears throat> Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 30. And please take out your Bibles and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, try to move over, slip next to a person who has, because I want to be sure that you're seeing the Scriptures specifically and directly so God can speak to you personally as well. Now verses 1 and 9 of Second Chronicles chapter 30 tells us that Hezekiah invited all the people to join him in this new revived relationship with God. Let's look at the first verse. It says, King Hezekiah now sent word to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters of invitation to the people of Ephraim and Manasseh. He asked everyone to come to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, putting that in modern terms today, we could say that this was a call to corporate renewal and worship. Because we have the scriptures to back up us in this statement. All genuine spiritual revival leads to renewed worship by the people of God. And that's why I say to you again, one of the things that I hope I could be remembered for as a pastor is that I was teaching people the necessity and how to worship God. Because above all, we must be worshiping people. That's important. And all genuine spiritual revival leads to renewed worship by the people of God with the people of God. And that's Hezekiah's point here. Now, it's not new programs or new techniques, but true, genuine worship that requires personal consecration and holiness of life. And also, according to this passage, a willingness to meet with the people of God. Today, we would say to come to church. That's what he was doing, inviting, encouraging people to come together to worship God, to gather and fellowship with the people of God. Folk, do you realize that we are commanded in Scripture to gather together with God's people? Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And if we disobey that, it's a sin. Now again, some don't like to hear that. They say, what do you mean? Coming to church, or refusing them to come to church when I can, or come together with God's people is a sin? Yes, according to the word of God. Because a command is given for us to obey. But you say, suppose I don't like what's going on. That's not the point.
If you just have a slight interest, just to fool people, you come to church because your girl is here or boy is here, or you just come to church because you want to fill obligation, that's a thin soil. You may, you may show a, a little interest in it, but it goes away. If you have a lot of, if you put material things before God and you have thorns and thistles growing up, and you show an interest in the word, but you allow the things of the world, your business, your home, your problems, to distract you from obeying the word. And so when you're sitting down and the word of God is being preached, your mind is not in the word. Your mind is not on the word. It's word, I wonder if I'm going to make that deal tomorrow. I wonder if I'm going to make it in time for this friend or whatever it is. Your mind is not in the word or on the word. Your heart is not being prepared to receive the word of God. You cannot blame the word of God for that. It's your heart condition according to the word of God. Now, the word, also, the word of God always germinates when it is planted on prepared hearts. All words, always. God's word never returns void or without full or prepared hearts and minds. He always accomplishes purpose for sending his word forth. Now Hezekiah faced a problem in his day for people who didn't want to join together. Notice verse 3. The king, his officials, and all the community of Jerusalem decided to celebrate Passover a month later than usual. They were unable to celebrate it at the prescribed time because not enough priests could be purified by then. And the people had not yet assembled at Jerusalem. And so the condition of the people prevented the worship service from going on. The first problem was with the priests, the leaders themselves. Today we would say the first problem is with the pastors. They weren't prepared. They did not keep themselves in a consecrated condition during the problems. They allowed themselves to wander back. Many people had wandered away and gone away. So the failure of the priest
The failure of the leaders to lead was a major problem for the spiritual condition of the people. And I say to us as pastors and deacons, this is a challenge to us. Because we're going to see it come up again. The pastors, the leaders have to be models, have to be setting the pace for the believers, for the Christians. We have to be. We have to always be living holy lives. We have to always be transparent before our people. That's an important matter if we are going to have the kind of corporate fellowship that God wants us to have. Now we're going to see more of this as we go through the passage. But look at verse 4. In this passage, we're going to find out that the lack of worship, the reason why the people wasn't coming together, was a failure on their part to obey the word of God. Look at verse 4. This plan for keeping the Passover seemed right to the king and all the people. So they sent a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba in the south to Dan in the north. It's like saying, Calvary Bible sent out a notice to all believers, west end to east end, to come together to worship, inviting everyone to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. Notice what it says in the last part of the verse. The people had not been celebrating it in great numbers as required in the law. This is the New Living Testament. The people had not been celebrating it in great numbers as required by the law. In other words, they were disobeying the word of God. That's why he didn't have a lot of people coming. It wasn't because the church wasn't exciting or anything, but it's simply because they were disobedient to the word of God to gather together when they were supposed to gather together. To put it in today's theme, or in today's terms, what Hezekiah is saying here is that the people were not attending church as commanded by the word of God. They were not attending church as commanded by the word of God. Listen carefully. A lack of obedience to the word always results in spiritual decline. It's like when a husband and wife are separated. The longer a husband and wife are separated for any reason, you're going to have a problem in that marriage. The more dangers that come in. That's why i got to hurry up over and get to see my wife, because she's been over there two weeks now. I haven't seen her. I was sitting down the other day reading the newspaper and working on my message at the same time, and I turned to talk to Nancy, because she's always there. But she wasn't there. It's amazing, isn't it? You see? But here, lack of obedience to the word always results in spiritual decline. The only place that a Christian can grow truly spiritually is within the fellowship and the context of a local church amongst people who love God and who love one another. You can't.
the God of Abraham. Notice that he doesn't say come to church. He says return to the God of Israel. He's recognized that the problem was the fact that they were not living close to God. They were not seeking his face. That's why they weren't gathering together. People of Israel returned. And they will be able to return to this land. In other words, what we do today as believers, especially in living the Christian faith, we can pass that on from one generation to one generation. The blessings will come rather than a curse. 
For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. This is a beautiful truth here because he's going to say something that is very difficult for a person like me to understand who believes you should be true to the word. You're going to come across something in this passage you didn't expect. But this is the reason why. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. And beloved, he is gracious, isn't he? He is merciful. If he was not, none of us would be here today. And I wouldn't be. It's only by the grace of God that we are all here. If you return to him, notice now, he will not continue to turn his face from, from you. He's saying here that if we return to God, we can be sure that God will listen to our prayers and he will answer them. He'd say that later on in the whole context that he's meaning. God will listen to our prayer. He'll respond to our cry. Now, verses 10 and 11 add the warning that not everyone will want to go this direction and that they will actually scorn the idea, his idea of coming together and oppose it. But nonetheless, some will obey, and those are the ones to work with without allowing this opposition to hinder God's work in the lives of others. Notice what he says. So the couriers passed from the city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. Some Christians will do the same when we call for spiritual renewal, when we call for people to come together to worship, not to have fun, not to be entertained, but to worship. Some people doesn't see any excitement in that, so they won't want to come. That's for old foggies, that kind of worship. No, the, but he's saying here, this is a necessary thing if we're going to see the smile of God's face. So some of us, some people will laugh and scorn when we talk about the need for spiritual renewal, when we say it's important to come out to pray, and to have a time when we go on our faces before God. Notice now it goes on. Those are the people who opposed it. Nevertheless, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. In other words, there were some who obeyed the word of God. That's the same thing in our situation. Some will humble themselves, come, some will come to pray, some will seek his face and turn from their sins. Those are the ones God says we have to work with for sure. And notice the result. And the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do whatever the king and the princess commanded by the word of the Lord to do. So there was unity. There was a unanimous agreement on the part of those who humbled themselves to seek God's face, that this is what we're going to do regardless of those who do not. Now in verses 13 through 22, we have an amazing and an even unique illustration of a time when God's grace and mercies are shown in the spirit of the word rather than perhaps the letter of the word. Listen to this gracious evidence of God's love and compassion for those of his people who truly desire to please him, but yet we fall short sometimes. He still forgives. He still accepts. He still receives our worship for his glory. Notice what the text says. Now many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. See, this is the wrong month. It was supposed to be held in the first month. But because of the lack of preparation by the priests 
and also the fact that all the people weren't there, they couldn't do it on the first month, they had to make it a month late. But yet a very large assembly came. A lot of people came. They came together to worship. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. These were the places of false worship, false gods, and so on. They took them out of the way. In other words, they removed everything from their lives that hindered fellowship with God and his people. Everything that was preventing them from worshiping and coming to church, as we would say today, they took out of the way. They stopped it. They removed it. And you know, sometimes we have to do that. We have to examine our own lives. What is it that is preventing us from coming close to God? What is it that prevents us from fellowshipping with God's people, which is a command in the word? What is it that keeps us from studying the word of God the way we should? What is it that keeps us from worshiping our God? And whatever it may be, it could be something with your work, it could be something at your home, it could be something that you enjoy doing, I don't know. But it prevents you from coming close to God the way you know you should. Get rid of it. That's what's happening here. Now notice, go on. They removed everything from their lives that hindered fellowship with God and his people. I'm going to encourage you to do the same. I know I started to do it from here. And it's amazing the things that God brought to my mind. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th of the second month.
Passover. Yet, they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. They were breaking tradition, but they were still pleasing God. Notice that Hezekiah had to make a prayer for the people. Now, you know, when we look at this, you would think that they would be barred from attending the church service because they were not following tradition. But listen to this amazing thing here. For Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, although they might not do it according to tradition. The Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary. Wow, isn't that something? Hezekiah says, Lord, bless these people who worship you, although they're not doing it the way we set out for it to be done. See, that's why we have to be careful, you know. We have some folk here, when they uh, want to praise the Lord, they raise their hand, they shout hallelujah, they shout amen. And some people looked at them, man, stop making noise in this place. Why are you making a fool of yourself? But those people are worshiping God. I'll never forget how God spoke to me about this one time. I was worshiping at another place. And the worship service was a tremendous service. And right in the midst of a wonderful time, a lady came from the back and she fell on her face at the front of the... And she was just raising her hand. She was just raising her hand. And I said to myself, Lord, you think I will ever do something like that? But then, you know, as I looked at her and I saw what she was doing, I thanked God for her because I could see that she was really worshiping her God and she wasn't ashamed to show it. Some of us are ashamed of worshiping God in the way that he leads and motivates us to do. Right? Now, you've got to be careful here, of course. God does everything decently and in order. But when he does it, he does it right. And we need to respond. Amen? And notice God's gracious response. God didn't say, Hezekiah, get away from here. These people are not following the rituals. They've got to do it according to the law. Notice the God of grace speaking now. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Isn't that wonderful? He healed the people. The sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, notice now, with great joy. They came to church and they were worshiping and they were blessed so much they didn't want to leave. They worshiped with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight.
voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. In other words, God heard the prayer of his people. You talk about heaven coming down to earth, this was it. People committed to holiness, committed to worshiping God, committed to getting rid of sins, committing to putting God first. Heaven comes down to earth. Beloved, I say to you this morning, this is the end result also of our seeking God's face, praying, turning from our sins, and obeying his word. Genuine, joyful worship. And I remind you, genuine, joyful worship is the primary goal and objective that God has for us as believers. And I will repeat that again and again and again. You may get tired of me saying it, but that's it. Genuine, joyful worshipers of the triune God. Not merely plans and programs, but joyful worship to a God and of a God who is worthy of a people who love God and who love one another. In other words, we want to be worshiping lovers of God and his people. My friends, beloved, I believe that's a true description of a true disciple. Worshiping lovers of God and his people. The opening verse of chapter 31 describes for us the ongoing actions we must take to maintain this sense of holiness of God in our midst. Listen to it as we close. Now when all this was finished, all Israel was present, went out to the cities of Judah. They broke the pillars in pieces. This is the place where they worship false gods. Cut down the Asherim and pulled down the high places and the altars strode all Judah and Benjamin, as well as Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. In other words, they purified themselves from all kinds of false worship. They got rid of everything that led them away from God. Notice now, then all the sons of Israel returned to the cities, each to his own position, his own possession. These people removed everything in their life that was hindering true fellowship with God and with his people. So must we. Thus saith the Lord. We must remove everything in our life that was hindering true fellowship with God and with his people. We must all evaluate our own life under the spotlight of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to see what it is that we need to get rid of if we are not going to be a hindrance to God's work in our midst and if we're going to be a blessing. I remember how God first worked in my life uh, along this line about getting things out of your life that were hindering fellowship with him. The night I was saved in Deadman's Key, Long Island, I went back to the house where I was staying, and I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, please forgive me for receiving Christ as my Savior, because I was an Anglican, and I was told that it was a sin to worship in any other church. And I actually asked God to forgive me for receiving Christ. But the next one we got up, it was Rex and his brother, and we got around the Word, and I started to read the Word. And really, the light came on. I realized what I had done. And I knew that I was a new creature in Christ. I went to my little suitcase I had. I had cards. I had dice. I had pornography. I had all cigarettes. I had all those things in my suitcase. And I took them all out, took them in the back of the yard, put some kerosene on it, put a match to it, and burnt it. Because those were the things that were hindering me from fellowshipping with my God. 
You might have to do that as well. What books are you reading? What DVDs you got in your home? Maybe it's some of those things that are preventing you from really meditating on the word and reflecting on the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something you do in your life. Places you go, you have to stop going. But whatever you know that God is speaking to you about right now, you need to take out of your life in order to seek his face and to be assured of his smile upon your life. And that's my... that you'd like to talk to us about as pastors concerning your relationship to God, concerning relationship to the church, please be sure to see us. Let us know that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that there's power in your word. There's life in your word. Thank you, our Father, that you've told us very clearly, even in this passage, that if we turn from our sins, if we seek your face, that if we obey your word, that you will Bless us, you will smile upon us, you will hear our prayers from heaven as it were. Thank you for this promise. May we be the joyful worshipers who love you and love one another that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.